Here's what's coming up on today's show. And sometimes we meet people and they're like, yeah, they don't, they've never talked about tax planning. They've never talked about estate. They never talked about retirement income or Medicare or Social Security. That's all part of it. So they may not be a comprehensive advisor and that's what these people are looking for. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the wind-up and the delivery. Hello and welcome into Perfect Game Retirement. Glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm Ben George with Ryan Ledden, President and Financial Coach at Black Oak Asset Management. And today's show, Ryan, is about working with a new advisor. Um, I don't know how often you have somebody come in that's working with someone currently and just trying to look at kind of what else is out there because... You know, oftentimes I think many people think, okay, well, I'm in this, you know, this relationship. I have this kind of uh, partnership set up. I don't really want to leave, but it's okay to do that. Yeah. I mean, most of the people we meet with uh, have some sort of a relationship. Some, I mean, obviously if it's a really good relationship, we're probably not meeting with them because if I find out they do have an advisor, which again is the norm, uh, when we do meet with people, I mean, we we probably, oh, I, if I had to just spitball numbers, I'd probably th- say 30% of the time we have people that say, gosh, I've never worked with anybody like you before. Okay. Um, but most of them have. So if they have do have a relationship, I mean, you, you know, just like they like to poke holes in us, we want to poke holes in that relationship. So I want to be respectful of that relationship. I'm not going to throw that person under the bus unless it's just terrible mistakes that this advisor has made. But and that's the why they're that's the reason why they're searching. But if it's just to test the waters and see what's out there and get free stuff, I usually poke holes in that. And usually we're not meeting with them anyways because uh, there's just like clients have red flags to their advisor, maybe then we have the same for people that we meet with. So it goes both ways. Um, so there, there's a lot of red flags that, that we'll talk about today on the, on the client side and the advisor side as well. Cause it's, you want to make sure that relationships are right fit for both sides. So, uh, we definitely meet with a lot of people that do have an existing relationship. Yeah. So today that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some things to look for, um, and evaluate your current advisor. If you maybe think that, Hey, I'm not quite sure if this is the perfect fit and it's a tough de- decision to make. So we'll kind of help you with that today and give you some things to be considering, but also kind of walk you through that transition, what that's like if you decide to move from one financial advisor to another and what all that consists of. So that'll be, should be a good show today. Also have a mailbag question to come in a little bit later on. Ryan, what's going on with you guys? Man, it's uh, at the recording of this show, it's still blazing <laughs> terrible hot. And, and I mean, we even had like practice canceled the other day oh, for wow. football and softball because it was too hot. Uh, just the heat index is, I, I just do not like August. It's mm-hmm. it's terrible. Um, football season hasn't really started yet. Uh, so by the time this is released, hopefully there's a little bit of fall in the air, which again, Atlanta does that. The The weather will like wake up one morning, it'll be like 58, and then the next uh, morning it's like 75. So yeah. it kind of teases you for a while. But football season should be in full swing by pe- by the time this is released. And my daughter's softball team still playing. So anyway, it's I like this time of year. It's kind of on the doorsteps of the best time of the year for me. Yeah, I agree with you. And it is it's pretty remarkable how much, you know, walking out the door in the morning can affect your mood for the day. Because when, when it has that, that little crispness, and I know we had a bunch of storms move through, and following that, the next morning was like, oh, this is actually I – I, I can kind of – 
sense football a little bit in the air. Those yep. other days you wake up and you can hardly breathe and it's seven o'clock in the morning. You're like, oh my God, I got to do this all day. Yeah. I mean, it's especially coming from, again, I know we talked about this on the last episode, but coming from Oregon where everybody talks about, oh, the West Coast dry heat. I mean, it, it is. It, it yeah. is very different. I remember getting off the plane or getting out of the airport in Atlanta and just – I mean, the air's so thick, you can almost, like, chew it up. It's just, just it's disgusting this time of year. So, August um, can't get, get kid over fast enough. <laughs> no, cannot. All right. Well, let's jump into today's conversation uh, on transitioning to a new financial advisor. It's a very significant process for many people. So, we want to help you recognize, again, maybe when your advisor, your current advisor is not the best fit. And then, hey, what to ask the next advisor. If you're looking around for someone new, what kind of questions should you be asking and how do you evaluate that relationship as well? So um, you kind of touched on, hey, if there's a right a, a big red flag, obviously that's pretty easy to, to pay attention to. But what are some of the reasons, though, that you, you kind of you hear people say when they come in and talk to you, what are you hearing them say about, hey, this is why I don't like my current advisor? Or here, here's some of the reasons why I'm thinking about switching. Yeah, there's several. There's definitely a few that jump to the to the forefront. Um, one could be that my advisor is getting older. I'm not sure how much longer they're going to be in the business, and maybe that client is you know 15 to 20 years younger than their advisor. So they're getting to a point where they're not sure what the inevitability is of the, is their advisor. Do they have a secession plan? Do they have, is it a one person practice and they're not sure what's going to happen? So, you know, as an advisor uh, myself, being in my mid forties, I'm not thinking about that right now, but I need to have it in the back of my mind of, okay, I need to have some sort of a secession plan, which we do currently, but as far as being able to hand off clients to a younger advisor, uh, we're all pretty close to the same age. Um, I mean, we're 52 to, well, we have one advisor who is, who is older, but he, that guy, he's going to work forever. I think, um, um, he just keeps, <laughs> he keeps chugging along and loves what he does, but we're 52 to about 40 lower forties. So we don't have that like junior, junior advisor. So that yeah. needs to be a part of it, but that's usually what one people see. One is just maybe their advisor never reaches out to them. The relationship has gotten stagnant or stale, and they want to just see if there's anything else out there. They, they may reach out to them just once a year or once every other year. I mean, I've had people that come over our office say, we had not heard from our advisor in three years, and they have like significant assets. I'm thinking, what in the world? So... And maybe that advisor has is, is grown and gotten bigger, just like we do. We grow and we get bigger, and, and sometimes that happens as well. Um, but you want to make sure you're staying consistently in communication with your clients, and maybe they're not getting that on the other end. And we feel like we do a good job with that with automation and video, these podcasts, um, you know, where people can can tune in and listen, whether they're clients or not. Um, but then some people think maybe they've outgrown their advisor. They feel like, you know, what they set them up with just kind of has been a set it and forget it. And there's no planning involved. There's just, they're just a asset manager. They're not a financial planner. They're not looking at the big picture and retirement income and social security and Medicare and taxes. So we, we want to be that, advisor that's taking care of all that. Now there's some things we can't do. We don't do mm -hmm. estate plans. We, we, we refer people to attorneys. We refer people to CPA so we can advise an, uh, on some of those things, but we can't complete 
what they need to do, but we want to have those people in our corner to do that. And sometimes we meet people and they're like, yeah, they don't, they've never talked about tax planning. They've never talked about a state. They never talked about retirement income or Medicare or social security. That's all part of it. So they may not be a comprehensive advisor and that's what these people are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of reasons uh, that could pop up for, for you to want to look to a new advisor, but Let's talk about then some of the, maybe the consequences because as, as people evaluate the decision, it's kind of running through the whole list. Hey, you know, what 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 all need do I need to think through? And you know, one of those things is is there any consequences? You know, both financial. I assume there's no legal consequences with switching, but are there any financial consequences uh, for switching advisors? Usually not. And yeah, from a legal standpoint, no, because if you have a fiduciary relationship, I tell people you can leave me anytime you want to. Obviously, we hope that's not the case but there's no gotcha fees. There's no surrender charges to, to do that. Um, you know, there's some products that are out there that may have surrender charges and penalties and things of that nature. But as far as leaving an advisor, people can do that anytime. So if, if there are legal ramifications out there, I'm not sure of them other than like an advisor, you know, reaching, if he leaves a company and then he starts reaching out to his old client base, you know, I don't think you're supposed to do that. Um, but from a, from a client perspective, I, I don't know of any, again, there could be some out there, but from a financial, usually not, like I said, those surrender penalties, if you're getting out moving an advisor, moving advisors and going to something else, there may be surrender penalties from where they're coming from, uh, as far as the investment product that they're in. But usually um, when we move assets over, if we are getting a client that works with an advisor, usually those assets just come over as they are. They call that an ACAT or an in-kind transfer where the funds don't change. We don't make any decisions on that stuff. They usually come over as is. Now, there are some investments that have to be liquidated before they are moved over. Um, So that could be a potential financial transaction, if you will. Um, it just depends on the investment. So usually there, there's not, it's usually pretty cut and dry, especially with a lot of fee-based advisors out there. Um, it's usually a, a pretty easy uh, switch. So it shouldn't make a, a huge impact. And I tell people we don't make any indecisions or changes until that money is moved over. And then we get back together again. And then we go through, okay, what do we need to keep? Because some of it we may need to keep. What do we need to change? So there's always adjustments that need to be made, but that's usually made after the assets do come over. All right. So kind of have a better sense of, okay, maybe I want to do this, but let me just give my advisor, you know, one last evaluation or just truly think through whether or not they are a good fit. Is there anything from a metric standpoint that you can use to evaluate your current advisor? I know obviously you look at your returns, but you know, they're not always going to be going up and you can't truly judge somebody on that. So what other metrics are you looking at to kind of get a sense of, okay, maybe they aren't the best fit? Yeah. And I do mention that to people that I'm speaking with. They may ask me questions and I kind of turn around on them and say, have you asked your advisor this? Have you asked them this? Well, no, I haven't. So I think it is a good idea to kind of go back and reevaluate where you're at. Sometimes, you know, being a Dave Ramsey advisor, sometimes we get people who move into the area and they're like, look, we had a great relationship and I've lost clients for this exact same reason. Hey, we liked our old relationship, but we just want someone who's local. Now you don't hear that as much anymore because of we went through COVID and (laughs) zoom and technology. It doesn't make it as big a deal. 
but I do have people that want somebody in their quote unquote backyard. And we've gotten, we've gotten those people before, just like we've lost clients to that very same reason. So, um, asking advisors on, okay, if we move, can we still work together? How will we do that? What does that look like? Instead of just saying, Oh, I want somebody else. It may not, the relationship may not be a whole lot different other than just a couple times a year, not sitting across from them, but you're staring at a computer screen at them. So it depends on how, how, uh, bad they want an advisor that is local. So um, just asking more questions, I think, to their current advisor usually helps the decision-making process. But as far as a metric goes, like you, you hit the nail on the head, you don't want to – you don't want to get an advisor that's based off of returns. Of course you want good returns. I get that. But yeah. if you're getting them to beat the market, it's the wrong reason to get an advisor because as soon as they don't beat the market, you're out. So yeah. when I hear that, I don't take them as a client. And you'll be switching a lot too <laughs> yep. Yep. if that's the case. All right. Well, you mentioned questions. Let's talk some questions then. So if you begin looking for a new advisor, you know, it, it, a lot of times people just don't know what they don't know, right? So how can I actually sort through who's out there that might actually fit me better than what my current situation is. So there's a lot of credentials, obviously, all over the place. Uh, what are you looking for? What should be a priority for me if I'm out looking for a new advisor? Yeah, I mean, designations and credentials are, I mean, I have people ask that from time to time. That's, that's probably not the lead question that I get from people, but they do ask, okay, I see you have a designation. What is that? Or do you have other designations or what, how do you continue to get better? And, and that's what I tell my kids all the time that my job is I, I, I continually have to learn. So I feel like I'm continually in school uh, because you want to stay up with the times, if you will, you want to stay up to current law. You want to just stay up on top of things that if you don't do anything for a decade and you turn around and then the industry has changed and laws have changed and things may have passed you by. So you want to stay on top of that. So some people do ask for qualifications. They do ask for a niche market. Who do you normally work with? What's the age, typical age of your client? What's their typical net worth? Uh, so you can ask those questions and, and kind of really peel back the layers of who that advisor works with. Now, again, being a Ramsey advisor, there's kind of all walks of life that we work with people, but usually philosophically, they're kind of in the same uh, the same mindset as, as we are. But um, you know, some, some advisors work only with specific employees. Uh, they have a laser focused niche market, which a lot of, a lot of advisor coaches out there tell you to do. Um, and, and I agree with that. But when you do, when you are on the Ramsey website, you don't have a niche market. You have a niche kind of philosophy on things, but not necessarily what, what industry they're in or what company that they do work for. But yeah, I mean, you know, looking for a new advisor, again, we get a lot of leads from the Ramsey website because there's a lot of people that trust his advice. They trust him. And so when he endorses, or at least uh, maybe endorses the wrong word, but he advocates for, hey, if you need an advisor, check these people out. You don't have to use them. There's several in your area. Vet them, talk to them, get rid of the ones you don't like, and talk to the ones you do, and then narrow it down from there, but they're still not obligated to use any of us. So, you know, I think that's better than just Google searching an advisor because in the part of town I'm in, in Atlanta, there's advisors everywhere, all over the place. Um, I got plenty of good friends that I coach their kids. They do the same thing that I do. Uh, so finding one is not not difficult, but you may ask your peers. You may look for trusted websites like the Ramsey site, and there are others. 
that are out there, but do your due diligence on the front end and just kind of talk and ask around to people that you know and trust. And, and that's probably a much better way than just doing a Google search of, you know, financial advisor near me, you'll get a million. Yeah, you definitely will. All right, let's, uh, let's close it out then with talk about the transition itself, because I'm sure a lot of people are curious. Okay. If I do decide, Ryan, I want to start working with black Oak. Uh, you know, what exactly is that process? Like, what do I have to do? What steps do I need to be taking? So yeah, usually it's a pretty, pretty easy process. There, there's always hiccups along the way because, you know, we, we, we use a certain custodian. We use Charles Schwab as our custodian. So they may be coming from a different one. And, and usually a transfer is, is relatively easy uh, from, from a contra firm to a new firm, whether it's a Fidelity or a Vanguard or whoever, it's usually somewhat easy. Now, sometimes companies have their own proprietary funds. So the client's got to go in and, and tell that custodian to liquidate that fund before it's transferred over. You know, paperwork is the biggest pain of my job but it's an, it's, it's necessary. You got to do paperwork. You got to do compliance. You know, the federal government and the SEC and Fender lays out these laws for us to uh, follow and we have to do that. And so it's a lot of paperwork for the client. I, I prep them with that. I'm like, yeah, this is going to ask a lot of questions and we got to go through it. Uh, but that's part of it. You, it. It's, it's for your best interest. It is well intended, even though it can be a painful part of my job it's what's needed because you, you, the, the federal government, state, local, federal, you look at past issues with fraud and advisors not doing the right thing and they learn from that. So they say, okay, what can we do to make things better, uh, more compliant? So I tell people that's a little bit of a hurdle to go through. It's just part of it. So that's usually um, a, a little bit of a roadblock, if you will. Some people kind of get frustrated. Like if it's a 401k or a 403b, they're going to have to call their former, uh, the custodian of the of the retirement plan, and they're going to have to initiate the transfer. Now they may have to call, they may have to do it online, but it does take initiative on their part. So it's not just, we can't just do everything for them. We can do as much as possibly we possibly can, but some of it's going to be have to be effort on their end. And and sometimes people want to move forward, but it takes forever for apps to be signed or transfers to happen. And it just lingers on and on and on and on sometimes. And that can be painful for, for us when we're waiting on that type of stuff. So it, there's some roadblocks. Consolidating can be a pain, but once it's done, it is done. It is a huge peace of mind. All right. Well, again, if you have questions for Ryan, want to actually kind of pick his brain a little bit about you know his approach to planning, obviously, you can go through the podcast and learn a lot more about that, but you can also schedule a retirement coach 360 session online now. And Ryan, just for anybody that is in, that, in kind of that boat that that wants to learn more uh, about you and what you, you and your team does at Black Oak, what does that first meeting look like? First meeting is usually a, a phone call unless you usually do a 15 to 20 minute phone call. It's amazing what you can learn from people, the personality that comes through the phone from us and from them. Uh, now, if it's a referral from an existing client, I usually still do a phone call just to kind of get the introduction out of the way. So when they come in, we, we kind of already know them a little bit. They know us. So we like to do a phone call first, 15 to 20 minutes tops, just to hear where they're coming from, questions that they have. And the, by the questions that they ask, I can get a pretty good feel if they're a right fit. Um, it, it doesn't mean we're just like, nope, we're not going to meet with these people. I, well, sometimes that does happen. But uh, if it's a referral from an existing client, then we, we definitely want to um, meet with them and, and just hear them out. 
Now, obviously, the leads that come from the Ramsey site, there are some that are not a fit. Um, there'll be questions that are asked, and I'm like, okay, this is just, it's not a right fit. It's okay. Maybe somebody else on the website's a good fit for you. But it's a 15 minute phone call. And then the first in person meeting, if it gets to that point, I tell people just bring yourselves. Don't bring paperwork. Don't bring statements because they're not going to sign anything. I do not force anyone into signing anything. It's usually after that first in person meeting is when they decide. But I do like to put some sort of a date on the decision. Um, it's not, hey, we'll, we'll let you know. I, no, it's not an answer. Might as well just say no. Just tell me no. <laughs> I'm not going to be chasing you. If you do want to think about it, I get it. But let's put some kind of line in the sand that says, okay, by this time, we'll have a decision. And I always say, respectfully, please let us know yes or no. No is a perfectly fine answer. It allows you to move on and it allows us to move on because there are plenty of people that want help and want to work with us. So that's kind of our process. And then it's a few, a couple meeting process after that, once they decide to become clients, but that's kind of how we start. Very good. Well, again, if you have questions or want to learn more, blackoakam.com is the best place to start. All right, let's get into a little getting to know Ryan away from the office and away from financial planning. This week's question, Ryan, for you. I guess this is a good one. Ties into with your son competing junior Olympics and track. What Olympic sport would you have had the best chance you think of winning a medal? So I uh, thought about this and again, we were kind of joking before the show. It definitely wouldn't be uh, sprinting because my son was faster than I was. I, I like to feel like I could hold my own, but after seeing him compete on a national stage, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I, I, one, he probably handles it better than I would have, and he probably would beat me in sprints. So I started thinking of all the different events out there. I'm like, oh my gosh, there are tons. Now the easy answer, which I, is it an Olympic sport anymore? Baseball? I think they got rid yeah, of it, right? Uh, good, good question. I think it is, but yeah. Because I, uh, I know it did go away. I don't know yeah. if it came back. Anyways, that would be the easy one, but I'm like, nah, what, what else? What else would there be? I'm like, basketball? No, I like playing basketball, but let's be honest, no. Um, uh, I wouldn't have been able to compete on that stage, but I started thinking, I'm like, okay, in general, I was a good athlete. Um, I didn't do one thing spectacular, but I did a lot of things good. And I kind of think back to my spring training days and how I measured up as far as broad jump and, and vertical leap and all my timed runs. And I'm like, okay, I was, I was up there pretty good. So I would just like to say, uh, decathlete or decathlon. I remember those commercials back in the day, Dan versus Dave. Wasn't that with the names guy, Dan O'Brien and yeah, something world's yeah, greatest yeah. athlete, man, the Nike was, yeah. yeah, they were hyping that up, but I was like, I could do that. So anyway, I thought maybe that would be my best chance. The easy answer is baseball, but uh, let's go something different and stay on the track and field side. So maybe decathlon. Yeah. I was looking at the baseball in the Olympics. So they, it's just kind of been off and on, which I didn't really realize how off and on it had been. But it did have a nice run from 84 to 2008. But then 2020, they, they brought it back. But it's okay. not going to be here for 2024. But it is planned to be here again for 2028 in Los Angeles. So I have no idea how they determined that and, and why it's so back and forth. But there you That's go. That's crazy. So, that baffles me. It's such a world game. How in the world? Yeah, especially now. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. How How is that not a, a sport with the many, many different – uh, countries that are involved in Major League Baseball. But then, you know, there's a lot of guys that play in Japan and Korea and mm -hmm. Mexico. And, I mean, there's just so many different countries that compete. So, I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't know if it, yeah, if it just interrupts the, the season, but, you know, why can't 
baseball have a two-year break or two-week break rather every four years right like doesn't seem like a big deal but anyway i digress all right let's close out then ryan with a little uh mailbag question has come in as always we like to do this so if you have questions for us send them in to us blackoakam.com uh this this week's question comes in from greg he is in savannah greg says my company is offering the option of a lump sum pension buyout or we can just keep the monthly pension throughout retirement if we want i've asked about 10 people around the office which option they'll choose and it seems that exactly half want the buyout and half want to keep the pension so crowdsourcing this decision has not helped too much what do you think? Uh, yeah, usually crowdsourcing doesn't doesn't usually help uh, either because everybody's just everybody's different on their rationale, their their mindset. Some people just want to know that check is coming every single month. They don't trust the market. They just they they don't want to. They just want to know that check's coming because essentially that's what Social Security is too. It's it's essentially a pension. It's an annuity, whatever word you want to call it. It comes and pays you every single month if you paid into the system. So a pension, a lot of companies, especially private pensions, are offering lump sum options because they they guessed wrong. They did the math wrong, and you're living a whole lot longer, and uh, they, they want you off the books, so to speak. So they kind of entice you with this lump sum, which more times than not, I am a little bit more biased toward doing the lump sum. Some people may say, oh, of course, you're an advisor, so you want to get the lump sum and help them manage it, and you earn more money. Uh, okay, I get it. But it's it's a fairly easy calculation on our part. I shouldn't say an easy calculation. It is a calculation, but you take that lump sum, you take you know, longevity and, and how long they are projected to live, and you, you look at the the company that is paying the pension, What how – what kind of financial ground are they on? Uh, that depends because there's always a rating on these pensions and, and how well they're funded. And you can look at that. So usually doing a lump sum because that's something you can pass on. Now I get it, a pension you can maybe pass on to a spouse. And then some pensions you can't pass on to your children. Not many times, but there are some that are out there. But you take a big actuarial hit if you include your kids. And that's usually for government pensions. But private pensions, it usually stops with you or maybe stops with your spouse. But there's calculations you can do on that and what that lump sum looks like. You can look at certain rates of return, withdrawal rates, and see how long this money will last because that's an asset you can pass on um, to your kids. So that's that's the way I look at it because uh, you do have more options to do with that money as opposed to a check each month. But I've seen pensions that I run the calculation on it and I'm thinking, man, I would keep this pension because the what what it's paying out is nowhere close to what that lump sum would produce, which sometimes does make you a little weary. Like, how can they afford yeah. to pay that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the private pensions, it's more times than not, I see the lump sum as, as the better option, but a lot depends on the math. There's a lot of that too also depend on just kind of how responsible you are with yep. like sticking to a plan. Hundred percent. Right. Yep. Yeah. And some people need that discipline. So you know what? Don't do the lump sum to uh, yeah. have the discipline of of the pension. But sometimes, you know, pensions don't have cost of living adjustments. Uh, some do. Uh, most don't. Most private pensions do not. So how do you keep up with inflation? Uh, uh, government pensions sometimes do. So that helps to keep up with inflation. So sometimes investing that money is the best way to keep up with inflation. So. Again, a lot of variables involved, uh, but I, more times than not, I've seen lump sum uh, usually be the choice of, of people out there. 
Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Greg. We do appreciate it. Again, if you have questions for Ryan, blackoakam.com, or just give them a call. You can do so right now if you choose to. That's 470-508-0508. We have plenty more show to come, so make sure if you haven't subscribed yet, you do, please. The Perfect Game Retirement, we appreciate your support. Help us continue to grow the show. And if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Again, our whole goal is to help educate you in the world of financial and retirement planning. And that's what we hope to do every episode. So, Ryan, thanks for your time today. We'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. The Perfect Game Retirement Podcast is brought to you by Black Oak Asset Management. Serving the greater Atlanta area with offices in Alpharetta and Macon. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledner, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC, Black Oak Asset Management, and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.